out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then use it as an excuse to argue about shit. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and today we are talking about Now and Forever by Sister Sin. I am so excited to talk about this album. I'm sure you are, because this was your choice. And uh, I had, until you, I won't say I'd never heard of them before last week, because um, b- that's not true, but w- the first time I heard of them was the, I think, Mayhem Festival report that you did, uh-huh. uh, where you met them. And I had never even heard of this band before I read that write-up. And I have been racking my brain to figure out how I kind of came across them. I think I might have been, like, I'll just, in different times, I'll just start looking for new music that I haven't heard of, or I'll start doing some Google searches about a particular type of sound or something like that. But I just kept seeing their name pop up in discussions about, you know, if you loved 80s metal, if you love this. And so I want to say about three years ago now, maybe maybe even two years ago, is when I came across them. So they have been around since 2002. Mm-hmm. I just discovered them for myself a few Wait, years 2002? ago. Wait, 2002? Yep. 13 years, really? Yes. Wow. And I just discovered them a few years ago. And when I did, it was like I hit the jackpot. Like this is a band that, to me, feels like if 80s metal hadn't sort of crashed and burned the way that it did in the beginning of the early 90s like this this would be like the next step of it in mm-hmm. some ways and I, I can get more into what i how why i think that is as we sort of talk about the album and stuff like that but they they are this is a band that wears their 80s influences on their sleeve and when i started researching this album for this episode of the show Everything that I found in interviews only made me love the band more. Like everything that they said, <laughs> all their answers to questions that they gave, I was like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. Yes, this is because I've always tried to figure out like, where does their sound come from? Who do they sound like? Who are their influences? And I started pulling a lot of that stuff for this show. And it was in some cases exactly who I thought. And in other cases, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense now. So yeah, they're a band out of Sweden. They started in 2002. Um, they had a an album that was sort of uh, like an independent album that they put out that was back in, I think, 2008. Let me just check that. Dance of the Wicked, I'm sorry, it was 2003. So one year after they formed, oh, wow. they put out an album which had some cover songs in it and stuff like that. They actually re-released that album, Dance of the Wicked, in 2013 with some additional cover tunes. And one of those cover tunes was Rock and Roll by Motorhead, and they did that tune with Doro, Doro Pesh from Warlock. Oh, wow. Um, and so that, to give you an idea of you know some of their influences, obviously, where you can hear Doro, certainly, you know when you listen to uh, Sister Sin, but that's definitely um Well, and I think you can influences. hear Motorhead as well. Well, uh, it's funny you say that, because that is one of their big influences, too. Huh, okay. Well, let, let's uh, we'll talk about that later. Tell us more cuz I literally, I mean, I briefly looked them up on Wikipedia. Sure. But, you know, uh, I basically know nothing at all about this band. So, t- tell us more about, you know, sort of them and their history. So, formed in 2002, um the lineup that they have now, there's been a couple of changes. The guitar player uh and the bass player uh came in a little bit later on, but Jimmy Hatula, who is the guitar player now, is like the main songwriter. Uh, him and Dave Sunberg, I believe, who is the drummer, in terms of you know uh, song composition and stuff like that. And so, really, it was. In, and I've seen them say in interviews and stuff when Jimmy came along, which I believe was after that Dance of the Wicked indie album. So he came along, I want to say, in like 2004, and then that solidified the lineup in terms of them sort of getting their sound and really nailing it down and and sort of going from there. Now they've put out 
uh, four studio albums after that. So they put out Switchblade Serenades in 2008. They put out True Sound of the Underground in 2010. 2012 is the album we're going to talk about today, now, and forever. And they just released this past fall, Black Lotus, which came out in either October or November of 2014. Now, the reason I chose this album is because I think it's a nice transition point between their early stuff and sort of Black Lotus, where they get a little bit more, um, you know, they bring in more strings, they use keyboards a little bit more. And so it's, it, they still, there is a consistent sound throughout these albums, but this is kind of a, an interesting point in their musical career. Now, mm-hmm. they have toured with the likes of Motorhead. They have toured with ah. um, Doro. They've toured with Wasp. They've toured with um, a bunch of bands. They toured with Arch Enemy. They toured with uh, Otep. Um, and what's interesting about them, they toured with Wait, everybody. Otep or Opeth? Otep. Oh, okay. Because yep. Opeth are another Swedish band. I just uh, thought there might have been a Swedish thing there. <laughs> well, and the whole Swedish, I mean, we could do a whole season on swedish how many great bands are there from sweden it's unbelievable right and so what's what blows me away about the whole uh sweden angle is that there are amazing bands that have come out of sweden in the past 15 to 20 years for every genre of metal right they all sound so different that's the great thing amazing and so you have these bands you know like i remember seeing mashuga in concert uh years ago and then you have it and then you have a band like sister sin who sounds really nothing like most of the other Swedish metal bands that come to mind when someone says, oh, you know, the Swedish music scene. You don't think right. this. But then um, you've also got somebody like Clawfinger, who are pretty much the polar opposite of Meshuggah. Uh, yes. In Flames, Catatonia, Ghost. Don't forget yes. a Swedish as well. It's, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the classic Entombed. Right. You know, I mean, Wolverine Blues is like one of my favorite 90s metal albums, but it's so, right up there in the top 10. So, And and what I love about the and, and this isn't just a Sweden thing, but but the way that metal has evolved in America kind of sucks in a lot of ways because you know when we got past the '80s, it became very lame to like '80s music. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. when every whenever the genre evolves, it's like it shits on whatever came before it, and that really sucks for fans of those genres. Whereas I feel like outside of the states, most many other places in the world where there's a big metal scene. They're more respectful of the history of it, and I think it's mainly just Europe. To be absolutely is honest, is it really? Well, because well, it, it, well, and South America actually, Europe and South America, I think, because in England, honestly, well, in is the it UK, similar? it's kind of similar to the US. Yeah. yeah, you know, new generations do kind of. I mean, th- there is a thing because metal was basically invented here. There is a thing of like having respect yes. for the old guard, but mm-hmm. at the same time. Being a sort of like you know fine you know we respect what you did but now get out of the way because we're the new thing. Sure, and it's like you know if Sister Sin came from the states, they would never have it. Just wouldn't have worked. You know, what well, I they mean? wouldn't because sound exactly at all like the way they, they wouldn't do, sound would like they? this at all. They wouldn't be allowed to sound like this at all. You know, <laughs> you know, in in terms of them um, getting any sort of success or you know being a part of anything big. And then you look at some of these bands. I mean, they've toured with uh, Michael Schenker Group. They've toured with Lynch Mob. They've they've toured with all of these bands that run the complete spectrum of metal. And what I like about them is, even though they're very '80s influenced, if you listen to all their entire discography, I mean, they pull from different eras, even though they have their feet firmly grounded in the '80s genre of sort of heavy metal. But um, but yeah, so it, so they they're kind of this band that they'll open up for anybody. 
And I kind of like that. The, the whole attitude of this band, uh, you can hear through the music and everything else, is very much like, you know, 80s. Uh, play clubs, tour as much as possible until you make a big break, sort of thing. Like life on the road, that kind of stuff. It, it, yeah. It's it's in everything that they do. It's very much a part of their sort of mentality. But they unabashedly love that '80s version of heavy metal, and they sort of wear that right on their sleeve, and they don't apologize for it at all. And so, while well, you, and I get the impression that you say about them opening for loads and loads of different bands, and they kind of strike me again. You know, I haven't sort of read a lot about them but uh, just from the music they kind of strike me as the sort of band who would say we'll open for anyone because we don't care who your fans are we'll convert them you know what you nailed that absolutely perfectly when we talk about their the show that i saw which was a very short set because they played um their victory records is the company that they put their albums out through now and at the mayhem festival this year it was the victory record stage where that was the second stage sort of speak at the show and so all of the bands at the show had this very um you know quick set and i think they played like six songs or something like that but we get there and we go to the show and they are not like anybody else on the entire bill main stage or second stage and they're not intimidated by that they don't give right. a shit they'll come out and they'll play to whoever and we'll talk about how they converted that crowd because it did happen right before my eyes as we sort of watch this. So it, it it is very much their sort of attitude, um, which again, to me, is kind of old school. That is kind of the way, that's like a motorhead attitude. You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. Like you, like, yeah, you show up to one of our shows, we're going to kick you in the teeth, and then by the end of the show, you'll be a fan of motorhead. That's you'll how that's going to go. It. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That's, I'll never forget. Like when I saw motorhead um, with Anthrax, Years ago, Lemmy walked up to the mic and said, we are Motorhead, and we're going to clean your clock. And then they just played straight played through their entire Played and played and played. They just beat you into submission <laughs> with their music. And it was like, I just got Motorheaded. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's one of those things where you're like, you have to actually Never. drag somebody <laughs> to that experience and have them do that. And so I appreciate that here's this band who, that's their attitude. You know, and when you see... Uh, Liv Yagrell, who is the main singer in person, and you'll see, I'll I'll send you the picture that I took with her to, for when we put the show notes up and stuff like mm, that. Yeah. She's maybe five feet tall. Maybe. Oh, is, is she really right? Yeah. So so yeah. she's and little pocket rocket. But man, be, like reminds me so much of like Doro. You know what I mean? Like just uh, huge personality and huge. Except when you meet her in person, very humble, very sort of very sort of shy and of course there's the the sort oh, of well, that, um, that's that's sweden <laughs> yeah and there's the language you know barrier too although you know the band members all speak english they sing in english and stuff like that but you see when you read the lyrics and you listen to the songs that there's there's still that sort of lost in translation bit sometimes um when you're listening i was going to ask you about that because you met her how is her english because i mean i'm assuming that she writes the lyrics uh, uh well now they kind of all write the lyrics i think um, oh, okay as, on this album uh, Jimmy Hatula, the guitar player, wrote a lot of the lyrics, at least on the songs that I did some of the research for. But I think as the band has sort of gelled and moved forward, it's more of a collaborative effort of them right. sort of all jumping in and doing that. Um, but I asked because I, I, every, I've met quite a few Swedes. Uh, I've been to Sweden several times. I know a fair few Swedes who live here in England. I know some Swedes who are still at home. Uh, they are all lovely insane but lovely people like insane in the best way swedes yep. are you know if there are any swedish people listening i love you all but you are fucking mad um in in the best way possible and they all speak absolutely perfect english i have never met a swede who didn't speak 
just immaculate English. And so I wondered, actually, if there might be some deliberate loss in translation going on, you know, if they might actually be taking advantage of that to write in a sort of the Euro metal tradition of bands like Halloween and Creator and stuff where the English is a little bit mangled. Now, I did wonder if that might be slightly deliberate, you know? I would not put that past them. And I have seen interviews where uh, they speak very good English. Uh, I've seen uh, Liv and uh, Jimmy Hattul, the guitar player, you know, interviewed from coming off the Mayhem stage at different stops and stuff like that. There are times certainly where they're sort of trying to think of the best way to phrase something, you know, in terms of responding to a question. But yeah, they they speak English for sure, mm. and and that's not a problem. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's just like this. To me, it feels like they took this era of metal that I just it, absolutely love and grew up with, and is always going to be my favorite sort of era of metal. And they just brought it a little bit forward and added their own sort of spin on that. But it's just so. Um, it's one of those things where the first time I heard the first album, Switchblade Serenades, that was the first one I picked up. I was floored. I was like, right. holy shit, how did I not hear about this band, first of all? And I can't believe, it's like they made this album for me. And I still listen to a lot of their music now, and I'm like, they they must have made this song for me. Like It, it pulls upon <laughs> like all the the bands that I used to love, and... Um, but isn't that great when you find a record like that? You know, there's when you find one of those records where the minute you put it on, you're just like, oh, I've been waiting for this and I didn't even realize it. And it's sort of the, the you know, it's a reminder for people who have their genre or their era of metal where they're like, this is it. This is what I listen to. I'm not going to go outside of this. It's sort of a reminder that you have to dig. Like you have to go out there and you have to try new stuff and you have to check stuff out because there are bands out there like Sister Sin who are completely 100% right in my wheelhouse. And if I wasn't checking out bands that I had never heard before or willing to pick up an album, you know, on a whim and just give it a give it a try, uh, or even just go on and, and listen to some songs and stuff like that and check things out. Like if you're not doing that, you're missing out because yeah, this was a band that I would com- exactly I could completely have missed out on this band and. Um, you know, over the past couple of years, they've easily become one of my favorite bands. Well, talking about finding new music and finding new bands, you mentioned that at the start. And uh, I talked about this a little bit last time when we were talking about The Defiled and how I just chanced across them, you know, on a music uh-huh. video channel. Um, but there are other bands who've become firm favorites of mine that I found, yeah, through things like tags on Last FM. Uh-huh. You know, or there's kind of like other people who've listened to this also like, you know, um, and yeah, you know, it, it does pay to to sort of click around and find that stuff. And, you know, YouTube, I mentioned that quite a bit. That's become sort of MTV for the kids now. Yep. Um, but it is worth doing that because, I mean, to be honest, nine times out of the te- out of 10, I'll follow those links and I'll look at that stuff and, I'll, you know, I'll go, yeah, no, no, not really bothered. But that one time in 10 where you find somebody like us, say, like I did with The Defiled or other bands that, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Neurosis, uh, a band that I actually only got into relatively recently, a few years back, um, because I think it was, it might even have been on iTunes, like people who listened to My Dying Bride like Neuro- liked Neurosis as well, or something like that, you uh-huh. know? And I was like, oh, really? And then, look, you know, looked at, and now they are one of my favourite bands. I absolutely love them. Um, and I just wouldn't have found that if you know the, the 10 other bands that they say people who all who listen to my damn bride also listen to wasn't bothered about at all but that one band i found them and i was like ah yes 
this is for me. Right. And that actually reminded me, before we completely go down the rabbit hole on Sister Sin, that we had some great feedback this week, and one of the comments that jumped out at me was from Matt Mason, and he said, I've already bought three new albums off the back of this podcast. Love the fact that it's introducing me to bands that I've never heard of. Isn't that so, great? Oh, that that is the mission statement right there. Like <laughs> that, that is that makes it entirely worth, you know, doing this show because that's exactly what we want to have happen out of that. Um yeah. spreading the got, word, yeah. Absolutely, spreading the word. We've got some great feedback on the Megadeth episode. Uh my buddy John Stetson said, No matter how many times I hear it, the guitar solo in In My Darkest Hour gets me every time. He said the descending scale that's palm muted Jeff plays at 443 to 446 is a gem and still to this day makes me scream. Uh, he said such a raw album with pure aggression. It's obviously Mustaine is a complete mess on this record, but that's what makes it so good. Like James Hetfield slash Metallica, Megadeth lost its punch when Mustaine wanted to learn how to sing. Uh, Metallica <laughs> and Megadeth are supposed to have shitty vocals. It's the music that carries each and every song. I want to hear Trapped Under Ice vocals and 502 vocals, not the crap they put out nowadays. So as we just mentioned, some people like a particular genre and, and time period of metal and don't want to move <laughs> beyond that. But yeah, and I just well, saw and him I this replied, past weekend. That was on the Patreon page, and I replied and said, actually, I mean, I disagree about the vocals, but I would, I'm all in favor of more music like Trapped Under Ice. I mean, Trapped Under Ice is one of my favorite Metallica songs. For um, sure. But, you know, but I have no problem with people like James learning to sing. <laughs> Right, I think I think yes, and I would agree that it's not necessarily that uh, it's not that fact that changed their sound. You know, right, there's right. a lot there was, of other reasons. There's a lot of other factors. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, Don Cardina said, "If you haven't read the Mustaine book yet, I highly recommend it. He really gets into some of the production stuff." Now, I did not read Dave Mustaine's uh, biography yet. I have it. I haven't read it yet, but I did read Dave Ellison's, the bass player for Megadeth, and it was fantastic. And um, he's he's a guy who you'll like him more after you read that. I'm a little nervous to read Mustaine's because, you know, uh, it, sometimes it takes the shine off. Although I, I'm pretty sure I have a good idea of what I'm getting with that book. Funnily enough, the only uh, Pantera biography, I've, in fact, it might even be the only one that's been published, to be fair, but the only one I've read, certainly, is Rex Brown's. Um, you know, I heard that was really pieces. good, too. It's a really good book. Yeah, it's really good. It feels mm. balanced. I mean, you know, who knows? Nobody really knows what went on in Pantera aside right. from, you know, well, I was going to say those four guys. Sorry, R.I.P. Daryl, those three guys now. Uh, nobody really knows other than them. But it feels like a really balanced book because, you know, he doesn't hesitate to call Phil out on some of his shit. Yep. But he also doesn't hesitate to call Vinny out on some of his shit. And, right. I mean, it's clear that, you know, of the two, Rex came down on Phil's side more than Vinny's. But, yeah, he's not afraid to say, yeah, you know, during this period, Phil was a fucking mess and, you know, it was embarrassing and stuff. <laughs> and you always um, want to get the perspective of that sort of third party. You know what I mean? Right, like, you, right. you want to know what he's thinking. I want to know what Dave Ellison is thinking about the Megadeth experience. You know, that that kind of thing. I want to... Right, the guy it. who isn't actually one of the main feuding parties. That's exactly. that's the thing. It's yeah. I say it's 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 called like a hundred percent proof or something. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really good book. That. Yeah, one that took the shine off of somebody for me. I read uh, Michael Sweet, who who's been in Striper. He's played in Boston. He just did an album with George Lynch uh, last year. I read his biography, and I kind of was like, huh. Oh really? I'm not, I'm not as high on that guy as I was. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point in time because Striper is an interesting band to uh, to talk about just because of the whole Christian metal um, mm, mm. angle and and what that's the pros and cons of that for them over the course of their career. But yeah, but I do like to to you know read these uh, these biographies and a lot of them are really really good and entertaining. Huh. Uh, anyway, see what, 
Yeah, uh, just <laughs> getting, a couple getting more off track a little bit. <laughs> uh, Frozen Summers uh, actually gave us a shout out on a blog. He said, the new music moment of the week po- uh, post, a recommendation for the new podcast, Thrash It Out by Anthony Johnson and Brian Latendry. And we can put a link to that in the show notes. But he um, he gave us a shout out, which was super awesome. And we thank him for that. Um, David Wynn said, I will never, ever forgive Megadeth for their nauseatingly bad cover of Anarchy in the UK. So yeah. <laughs> that basically cut him off from Megadeth forever, uh, which is sad because, you know, they meant to do it to uh, to do a tribute and it ended up pissing everybody off. Uh, and Wayne Withorn said, good album mate Mustaine still has plenty to vent his spleen about. Listen to Hook and Mouth a few days ago and had to smile. Whatever happened to the PMRC? So if you listen to the episode, we talk about the uh, the PMRC and sort of how that ended up being the labels that you see on records and stuff like that. So. Uh, and so- what you what you don't know there, and I'll just mention in case he's listening, is that Wayne uh, is a guy I used to work with many years ago, uh, back when we were both at a pre-press bureau, and um, we were the the, the office metalheads. Uh, we had it was one of those places where you could you know you had a, a, an office stereo and we'd regularly have music going and we listened to a lot of good music you know everybody there was into music we listened to a lot of good music during that time. Um, but Wayne and I would. You know, we were the resident thrashers. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, so we would sort of terrorize everybody else with, you know, yeah, Metallica, Megadeth, and Testament albums all day long. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, the bonds that you form over music, because again, this, my friend John, who always, you know, writes into the show and stuff like that, like that, that bond is like never broken. Like there's a guy who went to college with my friend John. Uh, his name is Chris, and we only see him at concerts. Like right. we'll literally never see that guy. We never talk to him. We're never around each other. But I will go to a show anywhere in the New England area here uh, in the states, and I'll run into that dude. He'll be at the show, right? And, and we'll it's just like, catch and, up. And it's like it's a, it's like you only saw him yesterday. It's exactly the same every time. Like we, hey, how's it going? You know, we hang out, we talk about music, and and so yeah, it is one of those things where once you make that connection, you always have that. Which is another thing I'm really enjoying about the show is that it seems like. Um, that's a common denominator among a, obviously a lot of metal fans, and so them getting to reconnect around that is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, metal is metal is tribal. You know, we are um, that. That's long been said. It's uh, it's something I've sort of tried to explain to non-metalers <laughs> right. before. Is that it is like it is like being part of a tribe. Uh, you know, and that's why you get this this push and pull between sort of individuality and conformity within the scene and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's like, well, it's like you said uh, in whatever it was, episode two or whatever about Slayer, you know, about going to the gig and the guy across the street who you don't know from nope, Adam, but he'll you know, just scream out, fucking Slayer. Slayer. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's a thing, man. You know, it is definitely a thing for sure. So, uh, so great feedback. You know, uh, we love the feedback we're getting on, uh, on Twitter and obviously from our patrons as well. And if you haven't done in a review on our iTunes page, that's really helpful too, because it, it helps us get seen, um, and get featured a little bit more. So, uh, so that's our feedback stuff. So back to sister sin, this album now and forever was released in 2012 to this day. It's their best selling album. When it, oh really? Uh, oh. Yeah, it is, which is interesting. Um, it entered the Swedish rock and metal charts at number six, and it was number thirty-six on the top heat seekers in the first week of release in the U.S. So it was. It sounds like it's their most commercially successful album. Sure. This album's only forty minutes long, so uh, if you hadn't already realized, if you listen to any Sister Sin songs, like they are definitely firmly entrenched in the like short straight ahead for you know three to four minute 
yeah, rock yeah. songs. They don't they don't go super long on a lot of their songs. There are some that that you know approach the five minute mark, but for the most part, they've uh, they keep it in the ballpark, which is great because again, as we talked about before, they don't overstay their welcome. Right, and they move on to the next song, which is really, yeah. really good. Well, I actually had this album uh, just this morning, literally a few hours before we were recording, um, in the gym. Oh, really? Uh, uh, yeah, on my headphones at the gym. I thought I'd give it a try and see how it was as workout music. Uh, it's really fucking good workout music, <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, really especially good. a couple of these but songs I, that we're going to talk about. But I had about. to loop it. It's such a short album that I had to loop it round because I was like, oh, because I mean, you know, you get to the ballad at the end. And it's like, OK, well, I don't want that. So yep. that cuts it down immediately to like 36 minutes. Exactly. And then, yeah, you're like, well, hang on, I'm only halfway through, you know. So, yeah, I did have to uh, loop it round and listen to it a couple of times. But yeah, really good workout music. <laughs> Definitely. I, I When I do like cardio or something like that, I'll put this on. And then, uh, you know, if I get 40 minutes of cardio done, that's a good day. So it, it works perfectly for that. But yeah, there's been plenty of times where, where I've had to loop it. But it is great workout music. And, and it has, you know, certainly that power metal vibe to it too, which is, it yeah. is sort of this interesting combination of what, what I grew up with as just straight ahead, you know, 80s metal. But they, they don't stick to that formula exclusively all those elements are there but i think what intrigues me about this band is they they definitely have their own take on this genre of music and uh and it's really interesting i grabbed a couple quotes from interviews before we get into the track by track stuff Mm -hmm. um because they talked about influences and it really really blew me away uh the guitar player jimmy was being interviewed and uh they said you did a cover of a motorhead tune rock and roll which is another band you'd like to cover oh, what's another band that you'd like to cover that you haven't yet? And he said, there's so many. I, oh, maybe this is Liv talking. I so love Twisted Sister. I really wow. wanted to cover a Twisted Sister song, but not their most known songs, maybe some of the least known, but a Twisted Sister song that would be really fun to do. So um, Liv was also asked, what does the album title now, now and Forever mean to you? And she said, the title is kind of a statement for us as a band, as a band and as individuals. We've been through quite a lot of things, a lot of troubles and things that might break up most bands but we're so dedicated to what we're doing so that's the title we're here now and hopefully forever we won't give up if something goes wrong it's tough to be in the music business today and that factors into one of the songs that we're going to talk about as we sort of move forward um which is fight song and i'll save that quote for when we when we get to that thing there okay um liv was asked what their influences are as a band you know which bands can we see as the biggest influences and she said well we all have bands such as motorhead motley crew Accept and Wasp, right? Yeah, and I can I can see that I can see all of that in here. Yeah, all of that is music to my ears. I was so excited when I read that, and she said as a big influence, <laughs> and she said, "Oh, and Twisted Sister," which to me is just so. Odd. We're definitely going to talk. That's Twisted the Sister icing on the cake. It's the icing <laughs> on the cake. She said, "For me, it's mostly Twisted Sister and Skid Row because I really huh? love the front figures in those bands, D. Snyder and Sebastian Bach. Wow. They inspire me both as singers and on stage." And say what you want about either one of those bands, D. Snyder is one of the fiercest frontmen ever to front a band. He's the singer of Twisted Sister. And while they're most known for their makeup era, I would encourage you to dig into some of Twisted Sister's back catalog because they were a pretty balls-to-the-wall rock and roll heavy metal band and don't get the credit that they deserve. And then Skid Row, another band who, at the time that they came in, things were already starting to decline for you know, 80s metal, and they got thrown in with the whole hair metal scene, they are anything but. Each album that they put out actually got heavier to the point where they were 
they were very far away from what we consider to be 80s metal by the time they were done making music. And they're still together in different incarnations today. Sebastian Bach does his own thing. But Bach was a pretty high-energy lead singer for sure. And a great I was going to say, I, I never saw them live, but every they were big around the time that I was you know, regularly reading the music press. And every gig review I ever saw of Skid Row said, say what you want about that music, but they put on a show and Sebastian yep. Bach has got like enough the energy of 10 men when he's running around on stage. Yep, which is always what I used to say about Motley Crue because I've seen them several times in concert. But uh, but Jimmy, the guitar player, Jimmy Hatula, was asked who are his musical influence. He says, Metallica actually got me into playing the guitar. I didn't necessarily think that Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield were guitar gods, but they did inspire me to learn how to play. As far as my heroes go, first and foremost, Ingve Malmsteen. Wow. Dude, that, that's all that you have does, to say right there. That, that does not come across. <laughs> in the, and honestly, for me, that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, I am right, because it's not overly self-indulgent when it comes to the soloing, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ingvi, yeah, I get, it's that, that thing about respect. You've got to respect his, mm-hmm. his skill and his ability, but he does nothing for me at all. As I think he's probably, I think most people could probably guess by now, just from, you know, my choices and my picks, like that is not my thing at all. Uh, He said, I'd also love to, I also have to say that Judas Priest is a big favorite of mine. Painkiller is one of my all-time favorite albums. He and I both agree on that. Uh, He says, you can't get more metal than that. There are so many albums that influenced me too. He said, the first Wasp album, Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. The first Van Halen album, he said, there's just too many to list. The 80s was such a great period for metal. So that's the guitar player who does most of the writing and the lead singer. And all of the bands that they mentioned, I feel like you can hear in their music. Yeah. Um, I also happen to love all of those bands. So <laughs> it, for, for a band to say, like, these are my influences and have them be bands that they're just, it, it was just perfect. It made me love all of that stuff even more. Um, well, and they are one of the things overall about this band that I got from listening to this album is that they clearly have a lot of energy. I mean, like, li- yes, Livio Girl has clearly got a great voice and ha- has a sort of very energetic vocal style, but everything, even musically, they are they're just an energetic band. It's actually, if I'm honest, it's a lot heavier than I was originally expecting. After how you described them, and when you, you know, as I say, reading your mayhem festival write-up i was expecting something more like motley crew yes and i would say that sister sin are way heavier than what i think of as motley crew in any case i agree and i feel like that's where they've sort of taken it to the next step you know what i mean because you can hear all of those influences in their music but then they just take it to a heavier place Mm. which is kind of which is what fascinates me about them because i i I can't think of many bands off the top of my head that did that and that's when i first started hearing them that's what blew me away is like they took that formula but then they just said we're gonna crank that up and and make that crushing and well this is partly why they reminded me of motorhead as Mm -hmm. well because it, it does it sounds like i mean it's basically it's aggressive rock and roll yes you know this is not sort of complex riff focused metal in the way that we often think of it you know but it is not soft and yeah much the same as motorhead motorhead stuff is not like complex and tricky to play but it is straight up loud aggressive rock music you know with a punk influence and again you can hear a bit of a punk influence in this as well and i was gonna say that like you know 
assuming that Lemmy didn't already know this band, I have a feeling he'd like them. But you now you tell me that they've toured with him. So clearly, you know, yeah, I, I get the feeling that Lemmy would nod approvingly at this band, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because I just pulled up an article this morning from uh, July of this year. And it says, Lemmy approved. Swedish rockers Sister Sin get the stamp of approval from an icon. <laughs> and it says, uh, if Swedish rocker Sister Sin had any doubt about whether it had a place in the hard rock and heavy metal world, Lemmy Kilmister of Motorhead quelled it. Following the band's first performance as a tour opener for England's loudest export, Sister Sin sauntered backstage and ran into Lemmy. And uh, Liv, uh, Jimmy Hatula was saying he told us how he really enjoyed the show and stuff like that. So... So apparently, yeah. no, um, I can absolutely believe that because Lemmy. I mean, let's not forget also that Lemmy helped bring Girl School to like national prominence when yep. Motorhead were at their most famous in the UK. That's when they decided to cut a double A side, uh, you know, um, not duet because it's a whole band, but you know, sort of joint thing with Girl School. Sure. Um, so yeah, and and again, you know, this kind of listening to this, I'm like, yeah, this is like girl school thirty years on, you know, <laughs> right? And and like you said, you know, it's it's almost like they've taken their approach to uh, '80s metal the way that Motorhead approaches rock and roll, right? Like, you know, well, that whole everything with punk ex- and yeah. exactly, and that everything louder than everything else, just this yeah. energy that they're going to bring um, that is going to blow blow the doors off. So, uh, so yeah, and I mean, actually, just one other thing, sort of talking about you know, going backwards, if you like, to for influences. Vocally, like, not necessarily the songs, but vocally, Livia Grohl really reminds me of Susie Quattro. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Susie Quattro. Uh, I'm not. But she, she is, uh, she was a sort of, you know, 70s, mainly 70s and a bit of 80s uh, rocker who was, uh, she's American, but she was... M- you know, mostly a hit over here. Yeah. And again, was sort of around the period of the rise of bands like Motown and stuff, actually predated them a little. Um, and yeah, it just, I was listening to it going like, this really reminds me of Susie Quattro. I mean, she's probably, I would say, technically a better singer than Susie Quattro. I think you can hear that, especially in the ballad. Um, but that kind of female growling rasp that she has, that's quite, you know, quite distinct. And yeah, it's, uh, maybe I'll put a link to a, a Susie Quattro Devilgate Drive or something uh, on YouTube in the show notes and people can judge for themselves. Because yep. yeah, I was listening to it going like, wow, yeah, this she sounds like a sort of successor to Susie Quattro. <laughs> I really like their their talk of Wasp as an influence and Twisted Sister because I also feel like she has this D Snyder quality to her and this Blackie Lawless quality to her in terms of the, the just sort of the, the, it, she's a powerful vocalist, but there's a, this raw edge to it too. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you said, the gra- almost like the growly. Even though she's she's what we would call a clean singer in terms of her vocal style, there is an right. edge to that voice. There is a rasp in her voice. Exactly, yeah, that's what yeah. I meant. A rasp, absolutely. Um, she her attitude that again comes through in the music reminds me. There is a, a wonderful one of my favorite lines um, from Joan Jett about women in rock music. I was just going to say Joan Jett. Right. Well, uh, Joan Jett, I don't even know where or when she said it, but I've, so I'm assuming that this is an apocryphal. But the line I've heard attributed to her is that she's like talking about the women in music up on stage and the, what defines rock music as opposed to pop music. And she basically said, in pop music, women on stage are all fuck me. In rock music, women on stage are fuck you. Yep. And that's exactly the attitude that I get from this band. 100%. And that comes through certainly in a couple of songs. But but when we talk about Hang 'em High, I mean, they, they, 
Right. (laughs) Certainly not afraid to take a powerful stance, you know, and, and you're right. It's, it's fuck you. That that's exactly right. And so, yeah. yeah, uh, just really interesting to when you think about the influences that they've named because a lot of them if i had to sit down and make a list i would have put on that list so it's, right it's you just would so, guess that their influences yeah. exactly and if people heard any of those bands and you're not familiar with any of them like that this is uh, one of those things where you can go back and sort of dig up all these back catalogs because that that's the other thing i would hope that people would get out of the show is that when they hear even when we're talking about a band like defiled or something like that when you hear about those influences and you're like oh i'm not too familiar with their catalog all that stuff's out there like go dig it up and yeah yeah and hear where these guys sort of took their influence from okay so now we can get into the track by track uh part of the show and as we start off with now and forever the first song is sort of an instrumental build it's a minute long it's called 2012 It, to me, it reminds me of something that you would play on stage while the band is getting ready to start it's their the set. It's the walk-on music. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's it. Thank you. It's the walk-on music. That's basically what it is. It doesn't stay too long, so it's not long enough for you to get sick of it. And I do like the way that it sort of builds into the first song, but it's it's basically, like you said, walk-on music. It's just filler. Yeah, There's it, nothing... It's not particularly interesting, but it does segue nicely into the first real track. So yeah, you know. And as right. you say, it, does, it doesn't, you know, uh, outstay its welcome. And End of the Line is the first, you know, real song on the album, which is a three minute and 50 second, 57 second song that the buildup just sort of crashes right into. gate you get this up-tempo straight ahead sort of rocker um and, and it's, it, I, I thought it was a really good way to start like it's a real energetic riff yes to you know to kick off an album and it has all the elements of what i think sister sin's sort of sound is which is uh definitely an emphasis on riffs but also these sort of chanting choruses and a lot of um it, it's just that sort of power metal vibe that you get to it and uh this song to me 
when I first listened to it, especially the the sort of riff itself sounds very much like uh, an homage to Motley Crue's Too Young to Fall in Love. If you remember that song, like after they come out of the solo, when it's just uh, Tommy Lee's drums and they're just playing sort of the naked riff there. This riff to me is very reminiscent of that. And, and I really like it and it's up tempo and, and it brings a lot of energy. And so it kind of gives you an idea of here's what you're in for with this band. Yeah. I, I'm not familiar with that Motley Crue track, so I'll take your word for that. But yeah, it is, it is a good riff. Uh, great chorus. They, they are clearly, again, we talked about this last week with the defiled, you know, big choruses. They are not afraid of a good chorus that you can sing along to like this track. Actually, I, I doubt whether I will find it, but I am going to look for this track next time I go to karaoke in New York. Right. Because I, I, I could karaoke this track, I reckon, and, and it would be pretty fun. <laughs> and, it, and it is. It's that, you know, I don't mind if the cities all fall and the, and, and the worlds will collide. Like, it, it's, you know, it's a song that's sort of saying, you know, the world might be ending, but hey, nobody lives forever, so I'm not going to be too worried about it. And it's, I, I, it's the next line, actually, that I love. I'd put the fuel to the fire tonight. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is so, a, such a Euro metal phrasing. It? <laughs> yes, which again is very much. So you you sort of see that it has that it it has that sort of power metal. It it walks the line and sometimes falls completely over the line of sort of cheesiness in in terms of some of the lyrics. But it's the sincerity and right. the energy that they bring to these songs that makes you not you know, kind of, uh, kind of brush it off as, oh, th- right. this is, there, this there is, is just- no irony here. There exactly. is no, there is no sort of detached distance. This is, you know, they mean every word and you yes. can tell it. And I love the way the song ends where she's just screaming end of the line tonight. And I don't mind. And yeah. so, you know, and then the way that it ends, it sort of ends on an up note. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah on, a, is- on a suspended note. One of the things I love actually about this, I mean, their music is not complex. That's clear. It is, like I said before, it's straight ahead rock and roll. It's not complex metal uh, ear in a sort of like traditional thrash vein. But there are some nice touches. Like they yes. they understand dynamics. They understand the value of sort of like, you know, doing a bit of stop and start. And like here you've got, and you only hear it, you know, in a few places. But when the, in the first like 30 seconds or so, when the riff is kicking in, the lead does this sort of wailing uh downward scale uh before the lyrics kick in yep. and then you hear it again in the pre-chorus right just before the chorus kicks in you hear exactly the same scale again underneath Yep. vocals this time and that's the only places you hear it but it's really well done and it fits i mean it's a good scale it sounds good over the riff but they don't overuse it again yeah. it's just in those few places where it makes sense and has an effect if they did it if, they, if it was everywhere it would lose its impact i love how you just described that because i like that's when I struggle to kind of talk about like how they sort of taken the formula but then done something else with it like i do I, it's that stuff it's like if someone maybe just listened to one song, it would be easy to sort of brush them off as falling into a particular formula. But when you start listening to them, as you said, it's not necessarily complex, but it's smart. Like yep. they're this isn't dumb. This isn't dumbed down metal. 
Like they know what they're doing. And there's times in these songs where you're like, huh, interesting. I like what they did there. Like the, the little flourishes they add, the little flair that they add, um, it's deeper than it initially would lead you to believe, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually related to that, one thing I would say though is, and I know this is a big area of sort of interest to you, is their solos. Um, yes. After, even after a few listens uh, of this, before I was sort of really examining it, but just sort of playing it in the background to, mm-hmm. you know, sort of get the the sound in my head. Uh, I was thinking like, oh, there's not many solos on this record. And then when I actually listened properly and started making notes and stuff, I realized that there's a solo on pretty much every track, but they just did not stick in my brain for one reason or another. Now, part of that, I think, is actually the mix. The, yep. Now, they only have what I realized. They only have one guitarist. So it's right. the same guy you know, like I assume when they play live, the bassist takes over and does the riffs while That's he's exactly soloing. right. Yes. Um, but on the, on this album in particular, in the mix, the solos are actually quite low down. And I think that contributes to it. You know, they're not really loud and in your face. Yep. Um, but also like even, ha- you know, having sort of been aware of that and then listened to it a few times, th- the solos, yeah, just didn't really didn't really stick for me. But then I'm not nowhere near as much of a solo focused guy as you are, for example. No, so I would agree I'm with that. I'm interested to hear what you say. I, I would agree with that. I think A, as you mentioned, they're not pushed up front in the mix. They don't they don't pop in terms of uh right. you know when it, when it's their time to shine. And I think that um there are a couple of solos, but but in some cases ending solos that I think really jump out. But as a whole, uh Jimmy Hatula's solos on this album are not they're not what you remember. You remember the riffs, you know, and you remember right, yeah. the choruses and you remember the energy, but the solos are not what you necessarily come for. In some songs, it almost feels like they, they're they doing a solo because this is the part where you do a solo for the song, right. you know, but it's not necessarily their, it's not where the <laughs> emphasis lies. Now, I will say that on some of their other albums, there are some amazing solos, uh, but oh, never okay, too okay. long and never overly indulgent. I just think that they in many ways they'll include the solos because that's that's what this genre of metal is and they have a deep respect and love for it but it's not they're more about the riff and the energy it's and not so, the emphasis exactly yeah, it's said. not that's it's a, not the emphasis like like yeah. it's not he mentioned guitar gods like he's not presenting himself as a guitar god he writes these fantastic rhythms and riffs and stuff like that but it's not He's not, you know, like Zach Wilde, who's going to strut up to the right. front of the stage and just rip for 45 seconds before he jumps back into the song. And, and I'm okay with that because of the total package they have here. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to point out about this song is it has a key change at the end. The last chorus, like it has a, a, an upward key change. You don't hear that much in modern metal. Right. And that's it the used, thing. Again, it used to be very popular in the 80s and it still is popular in, in pop songs. It's a very common technique in popular music. You don't hear it a lot in modern metal at all. I'm glad that, you, that these things are, um, I'm glad that you're appreciating these things because I, that was, it's sort of one of those things that, like I said before, I sort of almost struggled to put, to articulate about like why they're different, you know, and, and I, do, I do like that about them. So yeah, I think End of the Line is a good opener. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. You're getting a lot of energy here, and and luckily the the instrumental, the walk on music, isn't so long that it lulls you to sleep before this hits. So right. <laughs> you know when you come out of end of the line, you're like, okay, all right. And then the next song comes on, which is called Fight Song. Fuck you! Fuck them! Fuck the world! You do I? 
God damn it if there may never be a more perfect metal song written than this <laughs> metal song. Because this has essentially, this is the perfect metal song. Um, but again, even though it has a very clear formula, what they do with it, it is executed to perfection. That riff to open this song is just it makes you want to drive off of a bridge when you're driving on the street listening to it, or it makes you want to take the dumbbell that you're lifting at the thing and throw it through the glass mirror at the freaking gym. Like this is, this is the song. Um, well, let's talk about the song and then I'll tell you what, this is the conversion song. Like when we talk about how right. sister sin is not afraid to play in front of anyone because they will convert them into fans. This is the conversion song. This is the song where you're like, holy shit, these guys are not fucking around. Like and, well, it, and for, for people who aren't, who haven't, you know, sort of aren't familiar with it, let's point out, this is a song, this is the second, the second real song on the album, uh-huh. it's track three. Uh, and the very first line is, fuck you, fuck them, and fuck the world too. Yep. Do I look like some <laughs> bitch to you? Yeah. Just like, right? And, and then she says, I'll bet a blackened eye that you'll remember my name. Yeah. Step it's back so- and get out of my face and my way. Yeah. Um. What I love, I love everything about this song, but what I love is that it just starts with the riff, and then you get the drums backing up the riff, and then you get this awesome, you know, two notes from the bass as it sort of turns the corner and really locks in. And I love that by the time all three of those instruments come together, they just lock in to a perfect rhythm that is just like, it. it, you're freaking out by the time that it all locks. It's just like, this is how you write a metal song. Like it's just perfect. The opening of this song, and then she comes out with "fuck you," like it. Just, like it's amazing. This is a song that gives me the chills every time I listen to it, and I've probably heard it hundreds of times. It never gets old to me. It's also really catchy. Yes. Like uh, after my first couple of listens of the album, this was the only song that really stuck in my mind that I could still sort of like you know sing along to bits of the chorus that I could remember. Um, of all the songs on the album, this is the one that, yeah, I think this is the most instantly catchy one. And I um, love that they give you like the naked riff right before they kick into the 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 chant of the chorus. You know what yeah. I mean? Where it's just, and then, hey, they scream in the background, and this is the fight song. Just uh, so awesome. Yeah. Um, and again, more lovely sort of, you know, European English, pray for that God forgives. Oh, I love that. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the only time she drops the the is in the last time she says it in the entire song. Yeah. But pray yep. for that God forgives. I don't. Again. I don't. Yep. <laughs> and, and I just, yeah. As, as this song just comes, you know, just crashing to an end, no matter where you're from, don't, don't look at me. You hear God forgives. I don't just so, so awesome. Like it's just yeah. right in your face. 100% energy, 100% riff. Um, there's a great part in the second verse where she says, give me a break and drop fucking, and it's supposed to be dead. But instead of saying the word dead, there's just a little pick scrape, you know, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a bar of chugs like the whole, cause the, these choruses, this is a band where the choruses are mostly open chords. Right. It is that big chorus where it's like, okay, let the chord ring out. Um, and then suddenly, yeah, they, they reach that bit and then. No, that all goes away, and you, instead you get f- a bar of four gung, 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 yes. chugs, which really like, whoa, you know, just and it kind drives of, it home. Yeah, kind of throws you off a little bit, which again I like. Nice little, and it only happens that once. It's only that once in the entire song, but it's a exactly. nice little, yeah. you know, 
it's so great. And then this song actually feels a little Megadeth to me because the um, uh, right after the chorus when they're going, din, 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 you know, that kind of thing, where, right before it locks back into the main riff, mm-hmm. that is a very sort of oh, Megadeth right, term. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, the- I, I know why you're thinking that. It's because of the chord progression under it. Uh, the chord progression is kind of full of uh, flats and sharps rather than, you know, sort of straight uh, full tone chord changes, yeah, which is a very Megadeth style. Yep. And then yeah. just the way the drums kick into that too, because it goes dan, 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 dun, 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 dun. Like it just <laughs> locks back in, you know? So it's it's got this great sort of like, um, it expands and contracts, you know? And when it's time to lock back into the verse, they just lock back into the verse. And it's just, it's awesome. I freaking love this song. And um, this was the one I wanted to save the quote for, because Jimmy Hatula is the one who wrote the lyrics for this song and it's about them dealing with their record company oh um, <laughs> another they, another yeah. anti-record company there's one on every album they said <laughs> how did you write the lyrics to fight song he said it was just one of those spur of the moment lyrics i was frustrated about our manager who bled us dry our former booking agent and just bullshit in general i just felt a re- it would be really good to start off the first line with fuck you fuck them and fuck the world too uh <laughs> to make it fit a bit more uh to live's perspective i added do i look like some bitch to you as a second line it was a fun thing to write and i hope people can relate to it in other terms rather than just my view of the music business at the time totally awesome, yeah right yeah. just a just a great uh just a great you know chanting metal song and when they played that song this was the song that uh you know, you have all these people who are there listening to just like deathcore and, you know, Cookie Monster lyrics and just like a lot of music that is very similar. Sister Sin comes out on stage and, <clears throat> and they played, um, trying to see where this fit. This was the fourth song in and people were kind of paying attention to them until this song hit. And then by the time this song was over, everyone was completely mesmerized by what was happening with them on stage and so this is the song where like once they throw this one this is the gauntlet being thrown down of like okay this is what you're gonna get so yeah to me it's just like a perfect perfect metal song um and then we move on to oh one last thing i want to mention about that there's a part in the song where she says keep my name out of your mouth and we can keep it the same just like the doctor said that is a reference to dr dre Wow, really? Okay, because I was wondering about that, thinking yep. like, what does that even mean? You're like, mean? what the hell? What the what does the doctor say? I'm thinking, is there some some phrase that I'm not familiar with or something like that? It is Dr. Dre. He wrote a song in 2001 called "What's the Difference," and it's "What's the Difference Between Me and You." And he's talking about people that he's worked with before and stuff like that, why he's successful and they're not, and that kind of stuff. And that is a line: "Keep my name out of your mouth, and we can keep it the same." So you have this Swedish metal band. <laughs> Who writes this perfect <laughs> freaking metal just anthem, and she's quoting a Dr. Dre lyric in it. That's fantastic. It's fantastic, right? Uh, I was blown away when I because I actually researched that line. I'm like, what the hell does that mean, Dr. Dre? Freaking that's perfect. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, and so, so then we go into "In It for Life." Like, leave my 
thing is, coming off a fight song, man, that's a tough, that's a tough song to live right, up to. Right. How do you follow that? Yeah. And they don't do the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, this is much more of a, um, because even though fight song is up tempo, I would say in it for life is more up, you know, it's more up tempo. It's a very straight ahead, just sort of rock song. It's it's a faster song. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, fight song is, it's not a slow song, but it is a fairly sort of, you know, it's just a, a standard sort of rock beat. Right. Uh, it's it's not like some like mega fast thrashy song. Whereas in it for life, I think it actually might be the so- fastest song on the album, or if not, then certainly approaching it. It is in terms of pure tempo, it is much faster. Yeah, um, with with the chanted core, the big chanted chorus in this song. Yeah, really good uh, intro riff on this song. Yes. I noted as well, like a surprisingly modern sounding riff actually for a band that is quite obviously you know sort of in a traditional mold. And we talked, I think, when we were talking about the defile. But I was mentioning like how you know uh, I like a good chorus that feels like you're you're going down a big ramp and then you're hitting the right. end of the ramp when you the hit ski the chorus. Ramp, yeah. In this one, it's like you're driving a car a hundred miles an hour into a brick wall because the <laughs> this song explodes into the chorus. It doesn't it doesn't leap into the chorus. It crashes into the chorus because of the way that the riff just sort of crashes right into the chorus where he goes dun, 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 and then bam, she comes out with the with the chant. And so just the way the the pace of how they transition from verse to chorus is just instantaneous. Yeah. And it's uh it's a really nice effect, especially because that that's just a great um it's just great how they do that. So yeah, and, and the chorus, you know, here we go, never to retreat or surrender, have no hope against the grain now and forever. Where the wind blows, will you will you sail with tomorrow? Stand your ground, tell me, are you in it for life? And this is them, you know, this is their their sort of uh, credo of you know living life on the road and and going for it and kind of yeah, feeds it's the, into it's the rock and roll lifestyle exactly song. Yeah. yes I, I do like never to retreat or surrender I mean it's it's not exactly an original line but it is very it's a really good summation of you know the metal attitude yes absolutely um, and uh, the the whole song being. A rock and roll lifestyle thing. It again, Motorhead. It kind of as I was listening to it, I was thinking this is basically kind of an updated version of We Are the Road Crew, which is exactly one of right. Motorhead's greatest, you know, like uh, classic songs. Yep. And I was listening the, the lines about you know strands passed out in the morning sun. It's nine a.m. and the party's just begun. Give me a new town and city lines, sore throat and bloodshot eyes. And I was like, yeah, this is th- this is actually the first track that made me think, yeah, okay, there's definitely a Motorhead exactly influence and, going on here. And I love that. I mean, again, it's once you hear them say they're like you have in your mind like who you think their influences are, and then once you hear them say them, you're like, oh my god, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And there's sort of a song on the album for every one of those influences, which I think is really, uh, really great, and 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 sometimes all meshed into one song. Another instance on this track of, um, we call it English because of the sort of Japanese mangling of English in instruction uh-huh. manuals, but obviously it's, you know, European. Um, but that sort of Euro metal quasi English lost in translation thing is, um, in the, in the pre-chorus when she says, regret the choice I've made, not too likely, my friend. Yep. <laughs> and I'll tell Just- you again. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, and. It reminded me, and you're going to have to, I'm going to have to remember, or you're going to have to remind me, next time we do a video uh, show, I will, because I've got the vinyl, I will get the vinyl out and show you. There was, back in the 80s, there was a German band called Stormwitch, 
I nothing, remember the name. Nothing to there is a modern band called Stormwitch. Okay. This is, you know, they are totally different, not the same band. Um the Stormwitch of the 80s were uh really heavily influenced by Maiden and Halloween. Okay. Uh, and they did an album called uh Stronger Than Heaven and and it is the cheesiest uh most utterly sincere but completely cheesy 80s you know nwobum style metal you've ever heard and there's a line on there there's a song called eternia and there's a line you need no silver or gold whether you're young or quite old (laughs) oh man (laughs) and i fucking love it because it is totally sincere like there again there is no it's like man of war or something like there is no there's no irony or distance here they are completely sincere i i appreciate I appreciate when bands wear it on their sleeves and I, and yeah. if they, if they believe it, I believe it. And that's, and I'm totally and cool this, with that. That when I heard that line, not too likely, my friend, it just made me think of that storm, which yep. <laughs> I'll have to say, I'll have to show it to you. Cause even the cover you'll like, when you see the cover, you'll be like, Oh my goodness. Oh, you I know? can't wait. <laughs> I love it. That's another thing with, especially with albums today. I mean, there's just so much less emphasis on cover art, but true, back in the true. day, man, it's just like eighties yeah. movie posters. <laughs> right yeah every yeah. album cover was just to, something to behold one thing i quite like um sorry getting back to this album one thing i could like is that none of the tracks so far and in fact very few tracks in the album overall are fade out tracks they all yep. have a proper ending and yes. which which is something that a lot of you know trad style bands actually seem to struggle with um but they yeah they bring every song to a proper end yeah uh, and i like that i appreciate that yeah, and this one just kind of ends with her voice, are you in it for life? And then it just kind of, it's almost like, you know, a little bit of feedback and stuff at the end. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is Hearts of Cold. again compared to in it for life very different song and that's the other thing that i kind of like about this album even though they have their they definitely have their sound and and sort of there's a there's a a formula you know to some of what they're doing it's the songs are varied you know in hearts of cold um hearts of cold to me sounds more of like more of a modern sound than a lot of their vintage sound you know i don't know if that makes any right. sense but i definitely feel like especially when you get to the end of the song and it's very heavy um it ends on a very dark note and there's a darkness to this song it's kind of like a bonnie and clyde almost natural born killers type of uh type of feel to the lyrics and stuff like that yeah it's uh it is another you know solid track good riff another great chorus 
Um, this was a, actually when I was at the gym, this was a really good chorus for, you know, sort of getting the blood pumping. Um, the one thing that I was getting by the time, by the time I reached this point in the album, I was starting to think, I wish we had a few more songs like the first, like the opening song in terms of lyrics. Yeah. Like I, I think musically this song is great and I do like the lyrics and they flow very well and her voice is great. But I was like, okay, I'm getting a bit tired of all the songs about how we're all amazingly rock and roll and hardcore. Right. And awesome. You know, I'd, I'd like something else now, please. <laughs> right. Um, this is also, this is the track that really made me think that she sounds like a modern Susie Quattro. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely find like a Susie Quattro link or a video or two and, and link to them in the show notes. Cause this track, especially is something about the tone of her voice it was like, wow. Yeah. Um, but it sounds again, it sounds really good, really good riff. Great chorus on this one. And the um, way that it ends when she screams hearts of cold the last time, and then it just goes really, you know, very, yeah. um, this is one of the highest, uh, points in terms of her, sort of the tone of her voice as well yes. on the album, like the core, the end of the chorus on this one, she really goes high on it. This is one of the songs where it, like uh, their use of chants in the chorus is not, they just don't chant the whole chorus. Like it's this very complimentary. Yeah. It's the call and response sort of thing. Exactly. Like, you know, they'll they'll chant, we are the, and then she'll sing darkest angels from the heavens above. Like, there, there's this, you know, it, it is that call and response type of thing where it, it just sort of helps it punch. It's built to be played live. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I have no doubt that a band clearly as musically intelligent as this is, you know, unaware. They must be aware of that something like that will play really well live because anybody can shout, we are the. You know, right? <laughs> you exactly. can't. You don't want the whole crowd to be trying to shout the entire line. We are the darkest angels from the heavens above. Forget it. That's not going to happen. Exactly. But you can get them to shout the first three words. <laughs> right, and then the um, next part, and we won't die old. You know, like right. That. So yeah. there, there is these very sort of simple, straight-ahead lines for the crowd to chant um, for sure. Yeah. So then we move on to the chosen few. just over four minutes and the sort of t- this is a little bit slower tempo it is and right on cue it's a song that's actually about something <laughs> yeah that was the irony was i was just starting to get tired of all the like rock and roll uh lyrics and then suddenly we get to this one it's like oh okay this song is actually about something um and and he's really good yeah really good for it you know good lyrics yeah the great uh riff great chorus um, you know, one one of the opening lines, fed lies of this better future where bullshit rules and they want us all to believe. All I see are consumption prayers, blood red greed, and now they're coming for me. So just this whole, you know, notion of, you know, trying to aspire to this 
life that you see the Kardashians living on TV and stuff like that, like that kind right. of stuff. It's, it's, it's clearly, I mean, I don't know whether it would be specifically Kardashians, but it's clearly just because of the time when the album was released, but it's clearly that sort of uh, adoration of the, the celebrity who is just famous for being famous. Exactly. So uh, and, and another and very another, chanty chorus for the crowd. Another great chorus, yeah, fantastic yep. chorus on this one. They really can write a good chorus. <laughs> Absolutely, and and just like you said, the way that they use the chants and stuff like that just make it something that is a easy to sing along with when you're listening to it by yourself, but b you would love to sing along with when you're watching them play live. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. Next song is "Hang 'Em High." That piece makes my heart race faster. The thrill of watching you try. much the uh love them and leave them song of this album now this song to me but from the female perspective it, it's like a reverse girls 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 or something <laughs> it absolutely is and i love the riff to this song it's also to me this song screams wasp like this song screams blackie lawless ah, yeah, and wasp yeah. like this is exactly something that you would hear on like the last command from wasp or something like that like this is yeah. totally a wasp song to me except from the female perspective I wouldn't have thought that, but now that you said it, absolutely, yeah, you're right. I could just imagine Blackie Lawless singing this. Exactly. Like, you can picture Blackie, except to change it to boys. She says, take what I want, when I want it, and how. My girls all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, that's not a Wasp <laughs> lyric. I've never heard yeah. one. Like, exa- you know, Except he'd say, my boys all know what I'm talking yeah. about. But, uh, but yeah, total Wasp song, great riff, great... Um, you know, sort of soaring chorus and stuff like that too. But this is a straight up rock and roll song. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a sort of a reverse cock rock song. I'm not sure what you'd call the female version of cock rock, but whatever that is, this sure. is it. We'll call um, it crotch rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, uh, this song I feel is a really good demonstration of her voice. Um, because, uh, and not being a singer, you probably won't know this, but singing extended E sounds is actually quite difficult. Yeah. Like there there is a reason that when that a lot of intonation and pronunciation in rock emphasizes o and r sounds because they are really not easy but they are easier uh-huh. to sustain, to project, to get really good vibrato on e which like closes up your throat. You know, that's a really narrow um vocal cord sound is really difficult to sustain, to get vibrato on. You know, it's just, it's a hard note to to hold. And she, every chorus, every chorus starts with her singing bleed, really, you know, like held. And and she get in quite low as well for a female voice. You know, it's, it's not like she's screaming at the top of her voice either. It's quite a low note. Uh, and she handles it perfectly. And, and this- then she gets really high in the verses. And in the bridge, 
she gets a sort of cutesy girly voice going on. So there is a lot going on with her voice in this track. And I think it's a really good, from a musical standpoint, it's just a really good demonstration of the power and versatility of her voice. And just how it complements the riff. Like when she sings that song, Bleed, Bleed Them Dry, and you just hear the riff underneath it. Like it's it's just, it's perfect the way yeah. those two are la- layered on top of one another because neither both of them are letting the other one pop. You know what I mean? It's right, just like yeah. the perfect meld of, of uh, vocals and, and riff right there. Totally um, complimentary, yeah. Which And it comes at a great time because this is song seven, right? So this is usually the part of the album <laughs> right, this where is the everything yeah. is sort of falling apart. So good place <laughs> to put um, an, a non-overly complicated straight-ahead rocker that sort of picks you back up. You know what I mean? Because yep. we've also had, with Hearts of Cold and The Chosen Few, those are sort of down songs in terms of tone and stuff like that. And this one is just straight up rock and roll lifestyle song. So it sort of gets you back. Um, the next song is falls into the pattern of what you talked about before, which is the, you know, we're different from everyone else uh, sort of thing. I'm not you. say if there's one song on the album that that doesn't uh blow me away it's probably this one um huh okay interesting not that uh, i don't like it because i do i don't feel like there's any filler on this album i i like right. every song on the album but this this if i had to pick one like which is your least favorite song on the album, it might be this one huh i thought oh, this was a really good sing-along track uh, and again, I think they know it because of the whoa bits in the chorus, exactly. which are perfect for a crowd to, you know, sort of shout along with. Um, and the lyrics, yes, are clearly sort of, you know, I, you're not me, I'm not you, and by the way, I'm better than you. Um, but also there are, and this isn't, it's quite, not subtly done, but it's quite ambiguously done. There is a, an element of anti-religion. Yep. Um, in this song as well as i mean it's clearly generally anti-conformist uh-huh. but you can read it also as being kind of anti uh religion not anti-faith necessarily but anti-religion and an argument back against people who say that if you don't have a religion you're worthless right which obviously is something that gets leveled at metal people quite often sure and she's saying the blind leading blind congregation all slaves to the game indifferent in mass graves that's what you're trying to sell me slumber at its best matching paintings by numbers. So there's some interesting lyrics here, certainly yeah. for this song. And what I really like about the end of this song is there's sort of some strings at the end and there's this piano sort of that, this meandering piano at the end of the song that, that has the song kind of linger. 
you know, right, in your right. mind, well, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. Put space between it and the next song as well. One of the things that I noticed about this, I was going to mention this in a couple of songs time, but I'll mention it now, is that they keep a, the variety of song styles going throughout the album so that none of the tracks run into one another. Yes. We've talked about this with, in the, with some previous albums we've talked about. where, where Queensryche if, being one. If, if you're not paying attention, you could mistake one track for another or not have noticed where one track ended and the next one began. Um, but here, the way that they've ordered the tracks, like some of these tracks do clearly, you know, you could mistake them for others if you're not familiar with them. But what they've done is made sure that none of those tracks are next to one another Correct. on the album. Yep. So every track sounds different to the one that came before it either in tempo or style or key or you know there is something enough enough those things are different that they all you can tell when one ends and another begins and that's really again that's really smart that's somebody whether it's the band or producer somebody has clearly looked at the track order and gone okay this is a good way to put them out put them on the album so that every track is distinct and stands on its own Yep, and that you never get bored because it, it yeah, doesn't allow yeah. you to, as you just mentioned, it doesn't allow your mind to sort of let them blend together, right? Because exactly. they're going to keep switching it up on you. Um, so the next song, uh, "Running Low," another one of my favorite songs on the album i love the opening riff i love the the tone that he's getting here in terms of the guitar it sounds it feels to me like like a wah pedal and flange like mixed together as he's um you know playing that opening lead over the riff just totally awesome uh this is a song that has a fantastic chorus keep on running without fuel just freaking awesome like just 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 a song about like continuing to hit rock bottom she's talking about um well and and insomnia right raise the bar just too high and now i go for the gold in my all-time running low you know like like being the best at at hitting the rock bottom this is actually my pro if i had to pick a least favorite on this album i would say actually this track Uh, and again it's a good track it's not that it's bad but i think this feels like the weakest track on the album to me whereas i know for you you said that it was i'm not you but i really like that and i think this is actually the weakest one on the album it's um i mean i like the fact that it's about something again um and it has the the sudden double time chugging at the end of the chorus is lovely yep that's again like only happens in that one place but it it works right there but there was just yeah this track just doesn't grab me 
what grabs me the most about this song because i do really really like this song is uh i love the way the song ends you know where she's screaming at the end my all-time running low and she carries that note and then hitula kicks into sort of an ending solo and that ending solo is feels like bark at the moon it feels like the ending solo (laughs) (laughs) from jakey lee at the end of bark at the moon if you if you just listen to that last solo that he plays as wow, the song wow. comes crashing to a close this solo is like super inspired by that just the exactly the the way he's playing those he sounds like jakey lee on the end of the song like the, it it blew me away and every time this song ends like that just gets me i can't help but think of bark at the moon which is one of my favorite all-time songs so well, i confess i haven't listened to bark at the moon for many many years so uh I'll take your word for that. But yeah, wow. What a what a thing to pull out. <laughs> it just like I'm like, where have I heard what does that solo remind me of? And then I happen to be listening to Bark of the Moon. I'm like, holy crap, that's from that Sister Sin song. Like it j- immediately just clicked in my head. Um so and then we go into Shades of Black. is i think one of the heavier tunes on this album in terms of tone and and just crunch despite the fact that when the chorus kicks starts like there is no guitar uh, right it's It's a rolling bass line right just drums and bass and we haven't talked about the bass yet on this album and i know that you like a, a, a good bit of bassage i i was really impressed by the bass work on this album, it kind Me of it, stand, it stands out when it needs to. Yep. But then, but it also like stands back when it needs to. What I'm glad you brought that up too, because what I feel about this band is their rhythm section is excellent. It is uh, super tight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's super tight, and it just locks in. It lets, which is maybe why you don't necessarily pay as much attention to it if you're giving it a casual listen. Listen, it lets the vocals and the guitar riffs really pop. But it's holding it all together, and and it's like, like we talked about with the fight song, when it when the drums and bass lock that riff into the pocket, man, it is super, like you said, super super tight. And usually, this is a song where you know the bass line kind of leads in this song and is the driving force behind the song. But it, the whole album, the bass work is excellent, and the drum work is excellent. I really really like the way that the drums emphasize some of the builds to the chorus, some of the coming out of the main verse, uh, just the acceleration and deceleration. Like there's some really smart drum work happening here, you know? And again, I, I feel like that when, if you just took a step back from this band and just sort of looked at what their overall sound is, it would be very easy to think that they're just a formulaic, 
you know, sort of eighties rock group, but there's, there, there's a lot of smart musicianship going on. And, and this is a song where I think it's all on display because I do love how the riff comes in over the bass line as they build towards the chorus here. Like it's just, it, this song I think has a lot of depth. Yeah. Well, and it's for a band that is so clearly, you know, geared again, like Motorhead geared towards playing live, you know, it's quite evident that this band is, at their best live, they want you to hear them live. Most of these songs are written with the intention that they will be played live. And yet, there's a surprising amount of detail in the studio versions, in the recordings. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it is, as you say, it's like, if if you don't look at it closely, you might miss it. But if you do, as we obviously do, you know, in prep for the show, uh, listen to that this stuff closely, you do notice these little details, these little touches that do make quite a difference there was actually i completely missed it damn it there's oh, i can't remember which track it is now but there's one track where um oh in fact it might be fight song actually where there is a note at the start of the chorus played on something that i cannot tell it's a it's a bass note it might just be a piano it might be a bass pedal it might be a bass synth, like a pad or something. I, I can't tell. And that's kind of the point is it's so far down in the mix yep. that you can't identify the actual sound. But what you do hear is the bass note yep. and it sort of reverberates through that line. And then you get another one at the start of the next line. Again, listening to it the first few times, so you wouldn't notice that at all. But once you put on headphones, listen to it, sort of really, you know, paying attention to it, you'll suddenly realize that it's there and it gives everything uh, in that particular chorus more weight. It gives it more depth, more sonic depth. It just makes everything feel a bit weightier and heavier. And again, that is, but it's not drawn attention to at all. It's right. not, you know, prominent. That's the sign of a confident band who know what they're doing. And I mean, unless they have a keyboard player with them live, they ain't going to be able to reproduce that live. Right. Instead live, they'll rely on the fact that they're playing live, exactly, um, which immediately just has more power to it. But on the record, they add something like that in. And that's not the only, there were a few other instances throughout the album where I noticed little touches like that. Um, that just to give everything a bit more emphasis because they're in the studio and they can. And, but without drawing attention to it, without making them gimmicks. And yeah, I think that's really smart. Yeah, and the, and the way this song ends is really heavy. Yes, so yes it is. and and then of course we go into the ballad after that. But there's a lot to like with this song here. And- when I when I saw the title, <laughs> Shades of Black, I I mean, apart from sort of having throwbacks to uh, Testament uh, with uh, Souls of Black, Souls of Black, yep, yeah. Um, but when I saw the title and having like heard the rest of the album, I just assumed that this was going to be a, another cock rock song about being cool and wearing leather and shades. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it is totally not that at all. <laughs> another interesting thing about this song, no solo. There's no solo on this song. Oh, is this which, one of the ones with no solo? Might yeah. be. I, I know there's probably more than one, but the, definitely it, it's... it's. I'm not so sure if there is actually. Maybe this is... I mean, apart from... This again, could be the only one. Yeah, it might be the only track on the album, because even the ballad has got a solo. Yep, it does have a little bit of yeah. a solo to it. So um, so let's talk about the ballad, because right. yeah. it's the ending song on the album. It's which, called The Morning After. Oh, actually, yep. no, not the, no definite article. It's just called Morning After. 
hold any sorrow Don't shed tears I'll be gone tomorrow I will be damned No, no, no There's nothing to be said about It's just the way that we get out I hope you read his letter This is the morning after All of the pain is dead and gone This is the morning after it, uh, I really like the melody of this song And it's a very sort of um, somber song, obviously What do you think about this being the ending song of the album? I, it, it fits as the ending song it is a good end to the album, no question. Um, the solo in particular, talking about solos, the solo at the end that comes in, once it gets electric, you get half, the first half of the song is all strings and piano, uh-huh. uh, and then, you know, the drums kick in and it goes electric for the second half. Once that happens and in comes the solo, um, that is a proper soaring finale style solo. That yep. feels like a like, whoa, here we go. We're going into the end, you know. Um, if anything, it's, it's actually, it's one of the few times when you'll hear me say that I wish it was longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the... The the whole electric section I wish was a bit longer because it feels like it cuts short. Like after the final vocals, it would have been nice to have another short solo in the coda, you know, I or agree some with kind you. of instrumental end with some good crashing and you know maybe a bit of double bass or something, uh, rather than it just kind of hits a few notes and sort of quasi fades, which is you know a bit strange. I would have liked this to kick into to full on electric after the first chorus. And instead, right, right. they wait until all, until three quarters of the way through the song to do that. So I I agree. I think the you song think the acoustic have... bit lasts a bit too long. Yeah, not it... uh, like I would have been fine if they kept the whole thing acoustic. I think, but I think that when it does kick in, it kicks in in such a nice way that, as you said, it almost feels like that part gets um, sold short, short shrift. You know exactly yeah. uh, on the song. Whereas I think it could have been longer. But yeah, very. Um, I would say when we talk about solos, and this is not a long solo in in the song, but. That certainly a very uh, emotional solo. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the most memorable solos actually on the album. I agree. Um, but I do think that the first half of this song is is a bit weak. Um, ironically, actually, I think her voice sounds a bit weak on it. And it's not, She's because she's got nice vibrato going and a good tone. But it doesn't, it just sounds like a quieter version of the voice that she's used throughout the rest of the album. Do you know what I mean? There's no tonal, Uh there's very little tonal difference there. Um, And I think actually that if she had projected a bit more and been a bit louder, even though it's the acoustic section, if she'd actually sung this a bit louder, it would have sounded better. I just think the execution is not, it's not quite full-throated enough, if you'll pardon the pun. I completely agree with you. And it made me think of the Anthrax ballad 
where, right, yeah, where we yeah. said, mm, maybe that's not the best fit for John Bush in terms of the approach to that particular song. And I, I think that's a similar thing here. But what blew me away about this song, and I'm, I'm guessing you don't know this, so I wonder if this will blow you away too, is this is a cover song. I only know it because I saw you message me five minutes before okay. we started recording. <laughs> did you actually click me. on that link? I did. I did. But I had no idea up until that point. I just assumed this was uh, an original track. Now, the good news is it fits your expectation of a good cover song because this is a completely different oh, sure. approach yeah. to this song than the actual song. So for those that don't know, Morning After is a song that was written by a guy named Randy Piper, who, if you are a big fan of 80s metal, you might know was the guitar player in Wasp. Him and Chris Holmes were in Wasp at the same time. There's when the Wasp he, influence again. Yep. When he left Wasp, he started a band called Animal. And this is a song that they wrote, and it is a straight metal song. So if you go back and listen to it, and we'll put the link in the show notes, if you go and click on the link to the YouTube video for this song, it's a straight-up rock metal song. Um, called Morning After, this is a completely different interpretation of that. And that made me appreciate this song more than I had before, because it is a very different approach. Yeah, 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 totally. After having now heard the original, I do have a little more appreciation for this song. I still would have liked, I still, my criticisms are still the same. Um, But I do like that they at least took that song and did something completely different with it. I appreciate that. And I like that they put it here. You know what I mean? Because I I feel like the rest of the album has a really good flow to it, and I'm not sure where I would have put it in the mix of right, songs right. that it wouldn't have felt like a hard stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I'm okay with them with them putting it here, and just for for them to do a cover. And uh, this is what I love about this band. Like when we talked about the quote earlier, where she said, "Yeah, I'd like to do an obscure Twisted Sister song." How more obscure can you get <laughs> than the side project of the guy who used to be the guitar player in Wasp? Yeah, that's and that's the skill. song that you picked to cover <laughs> to the point that no one knows it's a cover. Right, you know that's what I mean? a pretty deep cut right there. That's isn't ballsy, it? Yeah. and and then to make it completely your own, I thought was ballsy as well. So you know, between the reference to a Dr. Dre lyric and the fact that they're covering this obscure former Wasp guitar player song, to me is just kick ass. Like I, it, it shows their appreciation for music and their sort of deep love for these bands like they're not just paying lip service to wasp or twisted sister they know these bands and that makes me happy like that that absolutely makes me happy and so um so yeah an interesting song to end it i wish the 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 electric part was a little bit longer but i thought they did a nice job with it although i agree with you that for live especially in the beginning of that song that's maybe not the best approach yeah, yeah. They... I mean, like I say, it's you know she's perfectly in tune. It's like she's got good vibrato. It's fine, but it, that's the problem. It's fine. It's not great. And I right. think if she'd been a bit more, if she'd gone for it a bit more, uh, you know, done a bit more of. Um, uh, While you're thinking of that, I think if she had, it, when she does let go in the back end of this song, it's fantastic. And so that's right. the part that you wish, like, oh, I wish that started earlier because it would have made the whole song more powerful. Yeah, if she'd just been a bit more, done a bit more of an Amy Lee. You know, oh, okay, for, yep. Like, then I think that it could, it would have been better. It would have turned it into a great song yep. rather than just a fine song, you know? But they get an A for effort for taking this obscure song and covering it in a way that is nothing like the original song. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now I will always, as we've discussed before, yeah, I will always uh, applaud a band for for doing that and making it even and making it sound like their own. Yes, absolutely. even though it doesn't sound like anything else on the rest of the album, they still did it in a way that it sounds like them, and that yeah, we didn't even realize it was a cover. One hundred percent, because it doesn't talk about that on the Wikipedia page, and it was only when I did the research for this show that I found out that that song was a cover. Right, so right. It, other than that, I would have completely 100% believe this was one of their songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so, but that's, but I think that's really, that's, you know, sort of interesting and interesting and commendable that you can take a band that has just, you know, given you 10 tracks of complete aggressive balls to the wall rock and roll. And then they do a ballad and the ballad still sounds enough like them that, you think you assume it's just an original song. Yep, you that's, don't question you know, it. Yeah, that's an impressive feat to pull off, I think. And, and again, with their choice of song, and and like we said with the Dr. Dre lyric and stuff, like that to me is just a microcosm of what I love about this band in general, is that they're much deeper than you think they are when you first look at them right, uh, or yep. when you first listen to them. And so, uh, you know, and this album is sort of a good point to get a feel for what's come before and sort of where they're going because as they go into Black Lotus which is their next album the one that just recently came out there's more keyboards on it there's more it opens up a little bit more and so I, I'm not sure whether I prefer that to this particular sound but right. it's still Sister Sin but you can see how their sound is kind of evolving so um, so overall I think just solid album from top to bottom very representative of their overall sound and, and sort of how, how they built it to that point. And a good album to hand someone if they're like, well, what do you like about these guys? Just listen to listen to Fight Song and then uh, <laughs> come back and talk to me. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I'm um, glad. I'm super I, glad. I wasn't sure I was going to. I, I really wasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't think I'm going to be... It, it hasn't made me a sort of, you know, a rabid convert and sure. I'm not necessarily going to go out and buy everything else that they've done, but I will keep this now that I've got my copy. I will keep this um, and I will listen to it again. And I think if you are, you know, is a, sort of relating to what we talked about at the top of the show, if you are the sort of person who is open to finding new bands and isn't just sort of ultra focused on this is my genre and that's all I'm interested in listening to, um, because I kind of feel like if you were, you probably wouldn't be listening to this show, to be right. honest. I think we'd have lost you by now if, I, I would you, were agree. The, if you were that narrow-minded. Um, you should give this a listen. I think, yeah, as I say, like if you like Motorhead, if you like Wasp, if you like that sort of rock and roll side of metal, uh, I think you will find a lot to like about this album. I totally agree. Rock and roll with aggression. And if you that, like uh, good albums to listen to at the gym, I would re- all of yeah, them. Absolutely, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. They never stray completely far from what you hear on this album on their other albums. So if, right. if you do buy and pick up this album and you enjoy it, you will definitely dig their other albums. And, it, and uh, It's switch- like Rollins Band. Exactly. I don't, like, I don't listen to Rollins Band a lot, but they are on my permanent gym playlist. <laughs> there you go. And, and their, the Switchblade Serenades, the first one uh, that came out in 2008, is is even more of a sort of a tie to the old school, which I think if you, if you lean more towards 80s metal, you'll really, really dig. Um, when I saw them play on July 19th at the Mayhem Festival, they had six songs to impress the crowd. And so they played three off of their new album. Uh, the first, the third, and the sixth. So they spaced those out, and then they played um, a song called Outrage off of True Sound of the Other Ground, which is another very um, crowd-pleasing sort of chanter. And then Fight Song was right in the middle of that set. And when they came out and played Fight, when they went into Fight Song, like everybody 
started paying attention to what was going on then. And yeah. so by the time they finished their their two songs after that, people were won over and it was kind of awesome to see Wait, that. Wait, what was the other song from this album then? Uh they only played this song from this album. This was the only one. They played three off of Black Lotus, they played one off of True Sound in the Underground, and they played one off of Switchblade Serenades. So they played three new ones oh, okay, and right, one right. from each of their other albums. Right, gotcha. Um, and Fight Song, if you're going to pick one to play in front of a crowd, is probably oh, yeah, the sure. one that you want to play. <laughs> yeah. And so it was <laughs> kind of It's got to be awesome. that or Hang em High, really, yeah. from this album. If, that, if you only get one song off this album, that's the, it's right. one of those two that you're going to play, isn't it? And it's kind of cool to go to a live show, especially when you don't know a band, or you know a band, but most people don't know a band, and watch them win over a crowd. Like You don't always get to see that, but when you do, it's kind of a special moment when you see a band just sort of win over a crowd. And I I love that experience when I go to shows. And for this one, like I knew what people were in for, so I was pleasantly, I was excited. Right. I was waiting for so them you're, to- So you're looking around the crowd, watching the crowd as much as you are the band. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And then I was know, like, yep, they did it. It's funny when you mentioned that at the start, it reminded me, and you just reminded me again of the the most impressive time that I saw that in action was at uh, an all day metal festival gig at uh, Milton Keynes Bowl, I think it was. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that was the one where I saw Ministry playing at like you know three p.m. or something outdoors, and it was terrible. Um, yeah, and Sepultura with the new vocalist and a bunch of others, and they had two stages. They had one main stage. And then they had a small stage set up on the side. Uh, and they would, but and the Milton Keynes Bowl is small enough that you couldn't have, they would set up on one stage while the other stage was playing. Yep. Um, so you could watch, you know, every band during the day. And at something like 4 p.m. on, you know, a Saturday afternoon, really not a kind of, you know, everybody's waiting for Metallica were the headliners. Oh, okay. That's who everybody is there. That's who everybody's waiting for, you know? Um, it is not uh a sort of it's not a time the sun's still up it's a really hot day right people aren't sort of you know ready to get down and mosh and what have you you know a lot of people are only just barely getting drunk um terrorvision came onto the small stage this was back when they were still a thing uh that's how long ago this was um and they came onto the small stage which also had a very small much smaller pa than the big stage um and they completely won over the crowd because they were clearly having such a great time themselves and they played stuff that made you want to tap your foot. It sounds cheesy, but it made you want to tap your foot, you know? Not yep. necessarily bang your head, but certainly tap your foot. And they were the first band that really sort of G'd up the crowd and felt like they had loads of energy and were just really enjoying themselves. And they completely won over that crowd and that crowd was full of basically you know yeah thrashers you know yep um and yeah terrorvision of all bands i came away that day thinking like apart from metallica they were basically the best band on that bill yep and this was a bill that contained sepultura and ministry and god knows who else you yep. know and they all they were all a bit lackluster but terrorvision did 30 minutes may not even have been that may have been 20 minutes of super tight pop rock everybody was dancing to yeah fantastic yeah i love those moments i've seen zach wilde do that when with black label society when people just knew him as sort of the guitar player for ozzy's band and his band is super heavy and uh especially live like it is it's very much in the motorhead vein of like louder than everything else and just you know make your ears bleed and stuff like that um and i've seen rob zombie do that i mean after he was done with white zombie 
when he was doing his solo thing. I saw him at Ozfest a couple times where I think that um, people who kind of dismissed him and had never seen him live really were blown away by what a great live show he puts on. Well, White Zombie themselves made their reputation as a live band. Yep. You know, they were that was how they sort of built their their fan base and their reputation. So I've never seen Rob Zombie solo live, but that doesn't surprise me in the in the least. Yeah, and that was at a stripped down show where he doesn't have the walking robots on stage and everything. This was just live performance and it was really, really good. So cool. um so awesome. So as we wrap up Sister Sin, what is my homework for the next episode? <laughs> Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to the seminal album by my second favorite band. We did my favorite band before when we did Paradise Lost, uh, and then we did the new band with The Defiled. Now we're going back in time a little, and we are going to do the 1993 album from My Dying Bride called Turn Loose the Swans. All right. I have not heard that album. Possibly the most pretentious album title in the history of metal, <laughs> but I'm in a good way. To it. Uh, they are My Dying Bride are one of the the big three of doom metal, along with Paradise Lost and Anathema, who are now actually more of a sort of prog rock band. Um, but they're all from the same sort of area. Uh, Anathema are from Liverpool. Uh-huh. My Dying Bride are from uh, Bradford, and um, Paradise Lost from Halifax. And if you know anything about England, you know that. They are all, that's all basically where I live now. They're all very, very close to one another. Um, Something about, go figure, you know, this area at that period of time produced this sort of doom metal movement. And My Dying Bride are, they're still going. Um, They are actually just about to release their, I think, 15th album. But this one that we're listening to is their second. Okay. Uh, Which may seem like a strange choice for a band that's had so many albums, but it is... And it's not even, it's my favourite album of theirs. It's not necessarily their best, but it is my favourite. And that's partly because of the the circumstances and time in which I heard it. But it was seminal. It was absolutely, it's, you know, almost every doom metal band that you have heard uh, since 1993 has been influenced by this album in particular. So I think it's an important album to talk about, but also just genuinely one of my favourite albums and also very very different to anything else that we've covered on the show awesome i can't wait to dig into it this week so i will be all over that and uh and again i'm enjoying my my education in bands that i haven't really had a lot of experience (laughs) with so well and same here i finally had an excuse to listen to operation mind crimes there you go (laughs) i'm so glad you like the sister sin one though that that makes me very happy because that is uh that's a band that i have become quite an evangelist for over the past few years for sure awesome Awesome. All right, well, see you next time. All right, you too. You've been listening to Anthony Johnston and Brian Latendry thrash it out. If this is your kind of thing, please spread the word, rate us on iTunes, and support us at patreon.com slash thrash it out. With your help, we can stay completely independent and keep thrashing. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com. Thank you and good night.